0: I'm Cameron Strang, and welcome to Unedited. My guest today is author, speaker, and new church planner, Bianca Poltoff. She's a brand new book out titled How to Have Your Life Not Suck Becoming Today Who You Want to Be Tomorrow, and is one of the cast members on Relevance's new podcast for church leaders called It Premieres September 18th. She's a little busy. Bianca is passionate about community, telling people about Jesus, and impacting lives. Before uh, what she's doing now, she spent years working with Christine Kane as a creative leader and storyteller at A21 and Propel. If you missed my conversation with Christine a couple episodes ago, go check it out. In the conversation you're about to hear, Bianca and I talk about what it's like being a woman in church leadership what it's like pastoring with her husband, Matt. We talk about her story growing up in Los Angeles in a religiously conservative family. We talk about self-esteem and overcoming challenges in life. And yes, we talk about what her conservative mom thinks about the word suck in her book title. Bianca is quickly becoming one of my favorite people. I'm so grateful we have her voice in church leadership today. Uh, Before we get going, I want to thank our sponsors for making today's episode possible BetterHelp, Skillshare, and the Wheaton College Graduate School. I'll tell you more about them coming up. Well, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Bianca Oltoff. So thanks for doing this. This is fun. Um, I'm so excited. Why are you in Orlando? Uh,
1: I'm on book tour, so I am. There's an event tonight. Friday night um, at Action Church in Orlando, well, Winter Park, and um, we're excited. They were expecting, we were expecting probably like 500, and there's over 900 that RCP. So not just RCP, they, they actually got a ticket, and we're in the middle of a hurricane, so we all kind of kept our expectation low. Yeah, um, and it's like back to school and all this other stuff, and so we were like, oh, okay, yeah, we you can don't turn up,
0: but you don't know how Floridians roll. They're saying there's a hurricane. And we're this like, is just like
1: every day for y'all. Yeah, I like, literally thought I was having like a power outage because I would see these like sparks, and I realized, oh, that's lightning. <laughs> I'm not even kidding you. I had no clue. I'm from California. Cam, we don't, we don't, we don't have these.
0: Your state, like mudslides and Listen, and fires and earthquakes. Yeah,
1: it's just a season. We haven't had. Okay, actually, we did have an earthquake not too long ago. Yeah. But they're fun. And they're, go- they're over in a second. You know, It's like, well, the big ones, okay,
0: that's see, fine. I think You'll that have they- hurricanes every season. But here's the deal. We know a week out. We see it coming. <laughs> the weather's fine. Oh, in a few <laughs> days, it'll be rainy. So we can prepare and it's not stressful. You guys, a wildfire just shows up and like, well, then it's like, oh, crud. We got to like react <laughs> that's to it.
1: True, that's it's, true. I think the
0: constant fear of the ground might fall out underneath wait, me. Wait a minute,
1: wait a minute, wait We do have telltale signs. Are you familiar with earthquake weather? No. So, okay. I know people think I'm like a whack job, but it's, it's literally true. If we experience like high hots and low colds, colds, It's, I mean, earthquakes are- Oh, the
0: expansion and contraction of the earth. so it's Uh. a tonic
1: plate shifts that move that causes the earthquake. So if we go from like really hot to really cold, um, that is, we're prone for an earthquake. So you know.
0: So you guys don't have like China cabinets and you don't have like open shelving in your kitchens where the plates are stacked up real high.
1: Open shelving. Well, the cool hipster houses, like they will, but it's probably not safe.
0: Right, because that stuff's going to come off the shelf. Totally and completely. Well, that's just dumb.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but wait, wait, wait. But our weather is amazing. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's and we true. And have,
1: we have the beach. We have Disneyland. We have Napa. We have no, yeah, You Street, got everything. Palm Springs. I mean, it's the promised land. Right. I'm not even kidding you. Like, relevant offices are moving to SoCal. That's, no,
0: that's, yes. that's actually a real thing. <laughs> for real. Like, we're talking wait. about doing things. We're talking about decentralizing and having a spot in LA and Nashville and here.
1: I'm saying, wait, what, Lord? Wait, God's speaking to me right now. He's saying yes and amen. I
0: mean, like no. we've been actively talking about that for the last couple of months. Like it would help our mission and business to have a small outpost out there. You know, maybe in the design district in LA, just have like a a loft or something that Mm -hmm. we could have two, three, four people, something like that. When I was out there for, uh, we did an interview with Jerry Lorenzo, who does Fear of God. Mm-hmm. The label. Their office is right there in an unmarked loft in, in the See, design district. I'm telling you. It's yep. awesome. That's yep. why I was like, we'll just be around there.
1: I love how you said Jerry Lorenzo with like a question mark. Fear of God. I don't know if you know him. Please. First of all, I know that you are like, uh, you're into shoes and um, I'm an LA girl and Jerry Lorenzo is actually, my husband just got some. Okay. Yes. Well, he, but here's the thing. I told him, I said, baby, you can't wear those shoes because the last thing we need is for you to be on Preachers and Sneakers. I Completely mean. Completely true. But, but his shoes were $80. I guess like you can buy them and then you resell them for like a jacked up price or something like that. I don't know. Whatever. If
0: you can get the, yeah, because they just released some kind of like more normal ones. Yeah, that, They the have moccasins. also like $350 ones that then resell for 2000 Yeah. But like the new moxins, that's what he got. Those are cool.
1: Well, he ended up getting like three pairs and you have to go into a lottery. Mm-hmm. So you can only buy one pair but mm-hmm. he's entered the lottery like multiple times. I'm like, okay, you're done.
0: All right, <laughs> you're done. No more. <laughs> I have one pair of Fear of God's, and it was because I have a friend who works at Nike, and he sent them to me as a gift. So nice. I, I wait. So I Jerry, could, you, know.
1: you interviewed Jerry. He didn't give you any. No. <laughs> they,
0: his assistant like allowed, like gave me access to like the friends and family thing, so you could buy them before they go out for those yeah, lotteries yeah. and stuff like that. And I forgot to activate the email. And so I didn't, and then when I did, like a few weeks later, when I tried to do it, like the link had expired and I emailed her and I was like, hey, can you give me a new link? And I never heard from her again. <laughs> and I was like, I'm kicking myself anyway. So you guys just planted a church in we did. Orange County.
1: We did. Well, actually we can't say just anymore because we are 11 months in already. Yeah, that's just. Okay. Thank you. It's I not even a one so. year like anniversary. An yeah.
0: So <laughs> what prompted that?
1: Uh, well, I would say, okay, the long short of it, or the short long of it, depending on how you view it. Um, my husband was on staff at a church out in Orange County called Mariner church. Mariners Church. It's a really big church. church. And um, and it's so it's so funny because you can be in this huge environment and be surrounded with like all the staff and all the people and all the things and still feel completely like isolated or have like a false sense of community. And so that's kind of what we were experiencing. And at the time he was studying to become a small EA. And then once he passed level one, he was just really good at it. And I loved it. I loved that it, he was kind of, like, becoming alive to it. And so um, I encouraged him to, like, study and go for level two, which would include, like, a greater depth of knowledge and then also the serving aspect and all this other stuff. And so—
0: Was he working at a restaurant? N- no. He just did it for fun?
1: Yeah. we were to give. And so I thought maybe he would, like, curate wine cellars for people. Because we live in Orange County, and there's a bunch of, like, bougie people that yeah. would, like, love for someone educated to come in sure. and just, like, do— their seller. And so that, that was kind of like the thought, maybe he would like moonlight for like once or twice a week just for fun. And um and then it was in Napa that we he went to go take his level 2 and um, it was there, I realized, I'm like, he really loves this, and he's really good at this. And I have a natural palate, I have a natural nose, like, I could pick up these things. So it was just something fun that we got to do together. But then it started getting to the point where I'm like, okay, you're not making money off of this. This is very time consuming. He was waking up at 4 o'clock. He had his videos. He had his note cards. Until this day, Cameron, we have a laminated uh, poster of every grape varietal in the world that is in our garage because he would go out and like he created a mental grid in his head. So by deduction, he could deduce what the wine is, the region, the year, and the flavors. So by the time level three came around, I was like, okay, listen, I love you. This is a great hobby, but what are we doing with it? So I said, let's just have food and wine night. So a friend of ours is a chef, he's a Psalm. They got together, created a food menu, and we love to host at our house. And we just started inviting people. Some people were from church, but it was like my yoga instructor, this guy from—he goes to this burger joint, and the bartender there, he invited him and just some random people, also people that were studying for, to become psalms, he invited them to the house. And it was just something that we absolutely loved, and we got to meet people outside of like the Christian bubble, which we really appreciated. And um, one month turned into two months, turned into three months, and then it just started to grow. It was like more people, it was, like 20 people, 30 people, 40 people. And it was one night, a girl, I'm sitting across the table from her, and we're just like chatting. And she said, I love my church. I said, oh, because I'm thinking, oh, I didn't know she went to church. I said, really, where's your church? She said, this, this is my church. We talk about God and we have food, and isn't that called communion? Communion. And I like, I tried just, you know, like smiling and nodding, whatever. And then that night I told Matt, I said, hey, so-and-so said that this is her church. And I laughed. And he said, Bianca, I think we're starting a church. And I said, I think you drink too much because but when we were dating, I said, do you have any ambition to become a senior pastor? And he said, no. I said, great. Then we could date because I was not going to be a pastor's wife. life. I was not going to be like in ministry. I wanted to be bivocational, love the church, um, and not work for the church. Mm-hmm. And, um. Uh, and that's how it started. I think the confirmation though, because I was still in denial, I, I went up to a church I got invited to a church called the Father's House up in um, Vacaville, California. It's right in between San Francisco and Napa. I had never heard of Vacaville. Have you heard of Vacaville? No. Exactly. No one's heard of Vacaville, except I got invited and I've never heard of this city, but they said, hey, we're expecting 3,000 women. You know, Will you come do the women's event and then stay for the weekend service? And I said, 3,000 women in Vacaville. Sure. That sounds like fun. And by the way, I'm a seven on Enneagrams. So my filter for anything isn't like strategic, financial. It's like, is this fun? So it yeah. sounded fun. And I went and I had Cameron Mike backgrounds in church. Like I love church as a church kid, pastor's kid, ministry kid. Like I love church, but I walked into this campus and there was something in the air that I could not put my finger on. I walked into the The worship center and worship was going on. And I, like, I had to sit down by song two because I felt like I was going to cry. Like, my legs were like, I I just felt so emotional being there. And the worship just was so electric. And when I say that, I'm not talking about like jumping around with like shofars and tambourines. I'm just talking about it was just the purest worship I'd heard in such a long time. The, The senior pastor, I'd never heard of him. He's like this hippy dippy guy, you know, that traveled around in a bus telling people about Jesus in the 60s, landed up in Vacaville and has this church of 10,000 people. And, um, so I, I, I was there, it was amazing, and God was good, and I you know preached my heart out, and it was awesome, whatever. That night, Pastor Dave, um, because they're located so close to Napa, they have this huge hospitality culture. So we, we had this shared love for hospitality, and he said, oh, why is that? And I'm like, oh, well, my husband and I have these dinners at our house, and that was it. Well, the next morning, we, uh, I'm, I'm there to preach at their three services, and he introduces me and says, Bianca and her husband Matt are church planning in Orange County, California. And I'm sitting on the front road like, did he, no, was he just not. mistaken? Or? That's what I thought. So yeah. after that service, I called Matt, my husband, and I said, this guy's a heretic. He said, we're church planting. And he said, Bianca, we are. I said, no, we're not. Like, whatever. Three months later, after much like kicking, screaming, praying, and like feeling that like God had called us to church plant, I said, okay, but we have to go back to this random church in Vacaville because I can't tell you, but if we build a church, I want it to be like this. And so... Uh two, two of our friends and Matt, we went up. And my husband is from Minnesota, a man of German descent. And the Germans, they're organized and non-emotional on the time. You know, he married a Puerto Rican. Like, we are, like, totally opposite. So I'm like, he thinks I'm already emotional. So I'm thinking, okay, there's this church. We're going to have a worship experience. Like, whatever. Second song of worship— my non-emotive husband, who I've seen this man cry twice in almost 10 years. Hmm. The first was on our wedding day, which—and yet even then, like, maybe a tear came out, and then he, like, like yep. sucked it back in. That's, my, that's the level of emotionality hmm. of my husband. He sat down and began to cry, and he said, this feels like my soul is being refreshed. And I said, that's the church I want to build. And that night we went to dinner. We we went to Napa with Pastor Dave. And um, like joking around, my friend, who's not even part of our church, was just like, hey, would you consider having like a father's house, Orange County? And he said, actually, it's funny. Last year, someone said that there's going to be this God connection between Southern California, specifically Orange County. So yeah, let's talk. And at that time, um, Love Mariners, super great. But Mariners does not believe in um, like women— Le- leading at that high of a level. And then my background, my dad's church, like women do not lead at all, really? um, preach, teach, nothing, you know, um, esteem women, but not really empower women. So I was like totally an outlier my whole life. Then to be under like Pastor Dave, and he like loves, esteems, empowers women. And he thought the concept of Matt and I, cause he knows my strengths and he knows Matt's strengths. And he said, I think this is like fivefold ministry. You guys, like you guys have it all. And so that night, we said, we're going to go home and pray about the Father's House of Orange County. And that's how we started.
0: How do you take the the thing that was unique about your food and wine nights and the community and that? You're like, I think we're planning a church. This is a church. How do you convey that to them now? We're meeting in an auditorium and we have the same formula as every other church.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, that is a huge value for not just me, but like our entire team, because all of our team and everyone said, you're going to have a contingency of people that are going to be like, we want to go back to the house. We want to go back to the house. Not one person has said, I want to go back to the house, except me. Because that was such a big value for me. I felt like God was there, man. We had like these amazing life-changing conversations. And so a big value for us is whenever we have a staff meeting, like our staff meeting, we always have food. Like that's just how we roll. Um, When we... We hit the threshold of 400 salvations in the church. My husband said, you know what, we are, and I preach, we did a whole series called New Wine. And of course, because you have a psalm as your pastor, we can talk about it with education. And um, my message was on champagne. And so um, we were coming on the heels of that. And everyone had this really deep love for the process of champagne because we want the party, we want the pop, we want the elevation, but we don't want the 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 process of it. So we want the promise of this amazing thing without the process, and so we got to celebrate the process. We opened up a bottle of champagne, we toasted, and we carried on with our meeting. In fact, our um, like I guess most churches call them like um, like small groups or whatever. We have community tables, and each of them are hey, you don't have to do a full on Bianca and Matt style meal, but like hey, bring some chips, some guac, what, what salsa, like what do you want? Whatever your group wants, because food is a big value. And like if you look at the book of Luke, Jesus was either coming to a party or yeah, coming to a party, going to a party or at a party. 70% of the book is Jesus parting around the dinner table. And so I think it's just a huge value that we never want to let go of. Uh, we love our volunteers well, our, our, our team is phenomenal. And we, so far we're 11 months old, we've already had three like really big catered gatherings for our team because we just never want to lose that. That's awesome. Except our communion is with grape juice. Is it really? It really is. Yeah. Why? Um, I think it's my legalist roots. Like I come from a very conservative background. And also like as a Latina, there's a lot of alcoholism in our community. And so, and like my dad was an alcoholic and his dad was an alcoholic. And so I'm just really cautious. And I would hate for someone to come up and partake of like the Lord's Supper and then feel tempted to be like, I'm slipping into darkness. This is like my BC days or whatever.
0: I went to a church that had... I grew up with the grape juice as well, (laughs) and then I went to a church for a few years that didn't. (laughs) It had real wine, and it was funny like to serve everybody. They also then had and over here on the other corner uh, we have gluten free. -free. Oh yeah, I'm like what? (laughs) Like what about the non alcoholic (laughs) option? If you're gonna give gluten free anyway? Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Well, today's episode of Unedited is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you've listened to our podcasts or read Relevant Magazine at all, you know that counseling and mental health is something we think is incredibly important. We all run into things that can interfere with our happiness and prevent us from achieving our goals. BetterHelp is online counseling that connects you with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient. You can now get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. They have licensed professional counselors uh, specializing in everything from depression to anger, anxiety, grief, self-esteem, family issues, you name it. BetterHelp has 3,000 licensed therapists across all 50 states. And you know what? If you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time. Everything you share is confidential and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. Uh, BetterHelp is available on desktop and then they have mobile, web, and also Android and iOS apps. And financial aid is available for those who qualify. BetterHelp is a truly affordable option. Right now, unedited listeners get 10% off your first month with the discount code RELEVANT. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash relevant. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash relevant. So growing up, legalistic home no women in ministry. You're a rebel.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess we can call it that. I think, that, I think that's like the biggest tension point right now.
0: How, how has that played with your family?
1: Well, okay, so just last week, so, it's, so my parents love me, and they clearly see that God's doing something in my life. Um, but just last week, we had a conversation because they came to visit. Um, we did something at the church, just launched a book. And so uh, it was like Launch Book Sunday, and I was able to give a message out of the book. And my parents were there. And on the title slide, as I walked up, it said, The Father's House, Orange County, Pastor Bianca Wadis Olthoff." And that was the ta- the conversation at lunch. They're like, but you're not really a pastor, BB. Just take it down. Like, why, why, why cause division in the church? What? Yeah. But they they're totally loving about it. Like they, they I think they're just concerned about how I'm gonna be perceived. And so, okay, so this is it's a tension point for me right now because just two days ago I posted a video clip. Now, here's the thing: I love humor. Like I, I, I've just honestly, I like I was a comedic writer in college. Like I love this trash. And so, um, and I think like, if you can't laugh at church, like your church is probably boring. So we just have a fun culture at church. And I said a clip that uh, the underlining of my book is uh, based out of the book of Ruth, an Old Testament book. And one of the main characters is this guy named Boaz. So I have this ongoing bit where I'm like, you know, we pray for a Boaz, we pray for a Boaz. And so I said, during my single years, I was like praying for my Boaz, but God didn't give me a Boaz. God gave me a fine ass and he wasn't a broke ass either. Ah, The church turned up, right? And I also said in the clip, I'm like, please don't come at me after service and say that was inappropriate because my mom is sitting on the front row and she's already giving me side eye. Mom, Jesus will forgive me. (laughs) I like the, the clip cuts. Well, it did really well on social media, except there was like a onslaught of people. I could deal with people saying that's inappropriate. I could deal with people saying, that was irreverent. And I, I received that and it's probably right. But it was like my church, you know when you're in with your family, you could talk a little bit different than you would in public. So yeah. maybe I shouldn't have posted on public, but the one that stung the most were people that said, this is why women shouldn't
0: teach. Oh, come on.
1: And honestly, it's affected me even till today. Like it's affected me to today. There's a part of me that wants to go and like delete it or archive it. But then I'm like, you're not my people. Like if you don't find this like funny and, and then, and then someone else said, oh, uh, that's a shame that the church has now become like a comedy hour. One, I'm flattered that you think I'm a comedian, but two, you took a 20 second clip out of a 37 minute message that is rooted theologically with systematic theology as I go through the book of Ruth exegetically. So come at me. You don't wanna know what's funny, the fact that you're taking 20 seconds and calling it a sermon, Whatever. And I did reply that to him, but then I deleted it because I'm saved. Whatever. You and Carl
0: Lentz can't help yourself. I can't, I can't. So I'll
1: say it and then say, sorry. It's
0: the justice (laughs) side of you. I can't believe that though. Yeah.
1: So it's honestly, it feels a little tough, but the beautiful thing. And I think that this is where Matt and I are finding our lane is Matt is not a wallflower. And I think that people can maybe see me being like vocal and out there and I travel and I write and I speak. And then they see—I um, think people might assume that, like, Matt is just kind of like a caddy when the truth of the matter is is Matt was on executive team for a mega church for 15 years, and prior to that, he uh, played semi-pro football, and prior to that, he was in corporate for Banana Republic. Like, the guy— is amazing. And he's the one that's doing our strategic development. He's doing our fundraising. He's doing our HR. He's doing our uh, internship program. And so what people coming to the church are saying, oh, wait, there's a strong guy who communicates and is not threatened that his wife is actually stronger in certain areas. And I'm not threatened that he's stronger in certain areas. And I think this, for the next generation of church, people want to see strong males and females working together, whether married or not married, and doing it well. So. We're holding on to that. In is, this
0: that is the mix that you're primarily speaking and he's primarily running things behind the scenes?
1: So it was 50-50, but then um, we— it was there's so many details to this, but he teaches once a month. I teach two to three times a month. And then that if it's n- if it's only me twice, then we have someone from our team. So both he and I, like most church planners start when they're like 25 or whatever. Like, um, I'm 36. Like I'm, I feel like we're Abraham and Sarah. I'm 36 and he's 43. Like uh he rocked the cradle. He won. Yes, Lord. So like, <laughs> so I just feel like we're a little bit older and we're not trying to make a name for ourselves. Like we really feel passionate about grooming the next generation. So the vision is 10 churches in 10 years reaching 10,000 people. And we're not going for 10,000 megachurches. We, we want saturation, not concentration. So the idea of this megachurch, like if we want to hold the table sacred, if we want to hold community sacred, that means we, the churches can't be over 1,000. Like that's the threshold. When it gets to 1,000, like you're going to lose a lot of intimacy and you're going to lose culture, you know? And so if, unless you have like vanguards of culture and that's really, really difficult to replicate at that huge of a level. And so we are already, oh, we're going to, at our one year, uh, one year anniversary in a couple weeks, we're announcing our second campus, which is going to be in prison. So we're super excited about that, and we're encouraging people to call um, Tfh CRC, which is the California Rehabilitation Center. It's a men's prison in Southern California. We're we're asking them, like, if you're on that serve team, that that's your campus. Like, stay there and be there. So. Um, we're excited because it's going to be a pretty large campus we're assuming it's a captive audience so like it's going to be good but all the things that we do at our church from community groups with food the 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 prison's allowing us to bring in not a whole lot of stuff but um you know in prison the commissary is like expensive and so we get to bring in like different elements um that will make it like fun and feel like us from baptisms to community groups to live worship to the message it's going to be us so we're stoked
0: wow do you, are you, is your vision a bunch of video campuses? Is no.
1: That, okay. So Matt and I, so we're not public with this. Culture? So you uh, keep the culture? Okay. So somebody asked me like two years ago, like, what, what do you want your legacy to be? And it's forced me to really like sit there and like, like fight for what I want the, like what I want my legacy to be. Cause if you don't build up like, your legacy for the next 30 years, it probably won't happen. And so I was like, I want my legacy to be 20 world caliber christian deep profound communicators of the gospel. And if that's the case, then I have to I have to kind of minimize to highlight other people. And I have to t- sacrifice like my time to develop the next generation. So as of right now there's four people that I believe are gonna be, and here's the thing, if they stay in the house, amazing. If they don't, amazing. Like I don't know who these 20 people are. They could be part of our church. They could not be part of our church. But these are the people that I meet with once a week. We talk about um, the roots of preaching, the roots of teaching. What are we reading? T- preaching is proclaiming the gospel. Teaching is explaining the gospel. We need to have both in our services because we, we it needs to be like two hands, two levers of a pulley. We need that balance. And um, if they're preaching, we give them a four-week one Right, I um, ask them for an outline. Uh, they send me the outline. We review the outline. Then they send me a loose manuscript. Then we go through the manuscript. Then they make the edits. They tighten up the manuscript. I read it. Then I say record it. So then they record it. And then I listen to it because it's, it's, it's timing. It's cadence. It's flow. And sometimes you have to hear yourself before you even like— I mean, like professional athletes watch game reels this is the way I wanna treat these people. Like you're a spiritual athlete, let's be awesome. And- um, Is that normal?
0: I know nothing about this No,
1: no, it's all the things I wish I would have had. Like, I feel like I've got raked over coals by so many people, like she's uneducated. You know, her dad's an immigrant. Like she never went to seminary, like all of that. And I'm like, and I'm still here.
0: How did you, your story is crazy. I mean, how did you get into ministry?
1: Uh, I never wanted to be a minister. I grew up poor. Yeah. And um, so...
0: And you didn't read till you were 11.
1: I Wow, Cameron, you know me. I feel so known right now, Cameron. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Um, so, first-generation American. I was born here, but my parents came here a little bit older in life. Uh, my mom's from Puerto Rico. My dad's from Mexico. They met at a party
0: in East, East Los Angeles. And Can um, I ask you for real? Like, I've heard that Puerto Ricans and Mexicans don't like each other.
1: No. Oh, my gosh. No, they don't. Yeah, okay. Because Cause that's unusual. Oh, no, it's very unusual. Okay. So, I'm creating my own race. I call them because it's the best of both worlds. Because we have pasteles, and then we also have tamales, and they're both wrapped. One's with banana <laughs> leaves, one's with corn husks. Well, I get the best of both. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. And so we get like the chill aspect of Mexicans, but we get the top party turn up from the Puerto Ricans. It's the best race ever, all right? So, um, no, Puerto Ricans and Mexicans don't like each other. In fact, there wasn't a whole lot of Puerto Ricans in in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, But my grandparents came here for, like, they heard that the jobs were great, the weather was great, and that there was opportunity. So, that's why my Puerto Rican side came here. Uh, And they're also light-skinned, green eyes, red, blonde hair, all that other stuff. Mm. My dad is, like, straight-up Mexican, okay? Like, Mm -hmm. he had a mustache, like, Fu Manchu status, like, dark skin, dark hair, dark eyes. And so— um, my grandfather was really upset. And my grandfather was also very racist. So even within the economy of like Hispanics or Latino because culture. Because
0: Puerto Ricans look down on Mexicans. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And Cubans look down on everybody.
1: Everybody. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. I mean, being in Florida. <laughs> but not as bad
1: as the Spaniards. Spaniards look, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's
0: right. Uh-huh. But more the Caribbean. Because we use
1: the vosotros form. That's why. So, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> um, Yeah. So, so the fact that my parents actually got together, there was like definitely some tension. And then what was even greater tension was the fact that my parents... Uh, accepted Jesus. So they left the Catholic faith. Mm. And so my grandparents on both sides thought my parents were in a cult and like, this is so bad. How could you leave Catholicism? And so their whole goal was like, hey, let's get out of East Lowe's. Let's get out of here. Um, My dad had ambitions and hopes of starting a Mexican restaurant, but then the Lord called him to make soul food. And they moved back to East LA, Mm. church planted, um, the concrete jungles of Los Angeles. And he's still there to this day, 30 years in serving Jesus, um, and, uh, but, but because of, there was a lot of sacrifices. So we were raised in a low income area and my parents made a conscious decision not to send us to public school. We couldn't afford private school and the public schools were so bad. Like in the, their elementary schools had, um, this was before like the, like Columbine and stuff. So the fact that there was like, uh, metal detectors at the entryway and they're passing out condoms in third grade, like my parents were like, we cannot send our kids here. So we were, we were homeschooled. Being homeschooled in LA is like the most not cool thing ever. And I struggled academically and I threw myself into food. And so I was obese, illiterate, raised in the hood, female, first generation American. Like statisticians would have put me in a category, Mm -hmm. highest prone to failure. Like no one would have looked at me and said, wow, that girl's going to achieve something. It was literally, I had a conversation with God at the age of 12. I had said, if you give me words, I'll give you my voice. That's it. Unedited with Cameron Strang is brought to you by the Wheaton College Graduate School. With more than 20 master's, doctoral, and certificate programs, the Wheaton College Graduate School is preparing servant scholars to engage the world as humanitarian responders, therapists, theologians, biblical scholars. Christian camp leaders, and more. Find out how the Wheaton College Graduate School's flexible or residential programs will inspire, challenge, and equip you at wheaton.edu forward slash unedited.
0: To walk me through from 12. Like, I want to know the practical. You, you, went, you were homeschooled all the way through? Or Yeah,
1: so I stopped because I said I wasn't going to cry on this stupid podcast. It's just so weird. I think it feels really weird. I feel like, I don't know. People ask me, like, how? And I don't know. It's literally the grace of God and like that chutzpah fighter spirit, you know? Like, immigration I- immigrants get... Stuff done, you know? So I would say I had that conversation with God because I just I was so tired of being the stupid, dumb, obese brown kid. I didn't know I was, I didn't know I was poor. I didn't know I was brown. I didn't know any of that stuff until I went to church. Mm-hmm. I went to this church and my parents were like one of the few minority families there. And it was there that I realized, oh, I'm poor. Oh, I'm dumb. Oh, oh, okay. Um, So I had that conversation with God and this is going to sound like so after school special, like, and it all worked out. But um, literally within months, something just clicked. Like I went from not being able to string sentences together. Like I could spot read mom, dad, cat, dog, but like putting cohesive sentences together, reading comprehension, reading uh, retention, none of that to reading novels in a day. Like I just, and then I realized, oh, this is power. Knowledge is power. So then I threw myself into school and I was homeschooled from um, age five until 13, 14, when I started high school. So we moved out of LA to um, a city called La Mirada, it's the suburbs, but the church was still in LA. And we went to La Mirada High School, which is a public high school. This was my first entryway into like formal, organized, like learning and structured learning. And um, I loved it. I was like, oh. I could win. If I could act white enough and get enough education, that means success and success means money and money means I will never be viewed like this again. That's Mm. where it changed. But then it became my God. And so I I was a Bill Gates Millennium Scholar. I went on to college, uh, graduated. I was president of my all four years and then president of the school, captain of three varsity sports, vice president of the Bible club, president of the astronomy club, uh, vice president of girls league. Like I loved high school and then went to college. And I think that was the first time that I realized I was ashamed of my heritage because I could create a whole new facade if I wanted to be in college. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was when my mom was diagnosed with brain cancer. And so my mom was diagnosed with brain cancer. And there was like this dysfunctional relationship with a man I refer to as Satan that I thought I was going to marry. And I didn't, but it was like, it was like, the culmination of my mom's dying, this relationship's dying. I'm in my senior year of college. I'm here on academic scholarship. I'm. A, I'm. I, 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 my grade sucked that last semester because there was so much going on. My grandmother who is ill is looking at her daughter die, which causes her turmoil. And this is like my Puerto Rican grandmother who sacrificed so much and worked in sweatshops in New York and LA. And this is how her life is going to end up. Where that was like, kind of like that moment where I'm like, okay, I'm done. Like, God, if you're real, that was probably my if you're real, do something. And the do something wasn't save my mom. The do something was show me that you care. Just show me that you care. You did it. You did it when I was 12. Do it when I'm 22. And God works in these like 10 year cycles with me. And that was like this huge turning point. Did he? He did, he did. Um, my grandmother passed away and that relationship that with a man I thought I was gonna marry ended. Um, but contrary to all the doctor's reports, we were preparing for my mom's funeral. In fact, I spoke with my mom this morning. Um, my, God was so gracious with my mom, but I think the bigger learning lesson and all of that wasn't that like my mom lived. The bigger learning lesson was that my faith was my own. It was no longer something that I thought I had a relationship with God. It was like, no, this is my own. In the same way that I had the conversation laying in my backyard of, if you give me words, I'll give you my voice. That was kind of like that turning point moment where I'm like, if you trust me to show yourself to me, I will never, never walk away.
0: How, how did you mention, like when you went to college, you realized you were ashamed of your identity or your, yeah, your yeah, heritage. Yeah. Like, how did that, affect you? And did you change something about you?
1: You know Okay. So there's kind of like, there's like in the steps of like revelation, there's the awareness of it, the awakening to it. And then there's like the questioning, like the now what? And then there's kind of like this the action plan. So I would say like, that was kind of like the awakening of it. Um, I didn't have language. I just was realizing like, I'm so proud of all the sacrifices of my family. And yet I go to the world. And if I am very brown. If I am very loud, if I am very opinionated, then I will be deemed non-American. Mm-hmm. And like the whole plight of the sacrifice of all my family members was like, be American. In fact, my grandparents didn't want me to learn Spanish because they're like, we want you to assimilate. You are American. Mm-hmm. So then it was like this weird dichotomy that I was in. And then it, then um, after grad school. Um, uh, I just was kind of like exploring, kind of like who am I now, and like what does God have for me? And it was in grad school that I started serving in ministry. So I just wanted to wanted own my own own art gallery in LA, uh, represent underrepresented artists, minority artists, females. Um, And then uh, while I was in grad school, I started serving in youth ministry. And then that was it. I was like, wait a minute, I can make the Bible come alive. Wait, when I talk about the Bible, you like it? This is amazing. And I was, I had zero ambition of. in ministry, but like I loved talking about the Bible and seeing people love the Bible. It's like cooking. It's like you get onions, you get garlic, you get a little olive oil, and you let it all come together. And then you get stewed tomatoes. You let that sit. And then you get to add like fresh basil and you get to add all these different spices and herbs and fresh cracked pepper. and You let that sit. And if you're lucky, you add just a few sprigs of fennel so that that just comes to the wafting aroma of this soon-to-be tomato sauce you're going to put on this homemade pasta that's how teaching the Bible feels to me. Like that changed everything. So then I start teaching the Bible in an environment that didn't allow women to teach the Bible. So I stayed with women. And then I met a white guy from Minnesota of German descent on eHarmony, who I could not figure out or peg. Divorced, dependents, debts. And I was like, sign me up. You my Boaz, boo. Like, oh my gosh. And, um, and probably three months into dating, unequivocally, he, he was just like, well, it's because you're ashamed to be a female. And I said, I'm sorry, what? He said, you're ashamed to be female and you're ashamed to be brown. And let me tell you something. If I had any residual Satan in my life, I was about to come out of my skin and like cut somebody. I'm like, how dare you? How dare you say that? And then he said, but you are. And Matt's an eight on Enneagram. And so he, he was not threatened by any sort of like response. And, uh, and we had a really hard conversation after that. And it was waking up to that reality. I can be American and I could be so proud of my history and so proud of my heritage, so proud of being poor because that's the plight of so many people right now. And I never want to lose that. And he was also saying, you feel like power is acting like a man. It's okay to be a woman teach like a woman to be a woman. And not like I wasn't like, camera, I wear fake eyelashes and high heels. It's not like I like have leather chaps and a mullet. Like Mm -hmm. I'm very aware of my femininity, but I think it was like that, that that shame that kind of was surrounded with it. Like Mm -hmm. success is being a man, success is being non-emotional, success is being white and success is being, educated. And to me, I was just like, that's what I want. And now I get to walk in the season of like, success is beautifully broken and success is all types of colors and success is failure. And the season feels like so many wins and so many failures.
0: How, how, when you were transitioning out of college and feeling called to ministry and wanting to teach and your family, you know, raised you in a church environment where you didn't fit in and you didn't, you know, you felt called to do something that they didn't approve of. How did you, how did you straddle that? How did you, did you have to like, kind of like block your family's opinion or approval out and pursue your own passions or were they supportive or?
1: Okay. So, um, okay. The funny thing is, is, I, I never set out to to teach, right. to preach, to yeah, lead but like a church. Food, like food, like
0: you just couldn't help but not do it. You said.
1: You, you you can't. I, right. I can't. It's like it literally just was out of me. And I, this is not because oh, I want to be on platform or this is a job. This ain't no freaking job. In fact, I don't get paid for everything at the church. My husband and I do not take a paycheck. We can't take a paycheck. Like we would rather hire the next generation. Like hey, let's let's go. But um, okay, so I started teaching, and it was predominantly within like women, and then youth was kind of okay. It was like this weird ambiguous thing. Can
0: I ask the denomination background? There,
1: well, uh, they it's non-denominational, but it's Calvary Chapel background. Uh huh. Um, so,
0: I've just like I grew up in a charismatic world where women are fine to preach and pastor. Yeah, and like not my background. I, and and so like I you know obviously relevant covers you know, many streams, but one river, right? So I just can't believe that the women in ministry conversation is still a big deal. But I follow Beth Moore on Twitter. So (laughs) I realize it is a big deal still. It is a big deal. And and I just don't get it because like, I don't think that God's a respecter of persons and the anointing is the anointing and God's word is God's word. I just don't get it. But I do know that heritage and denominational legalism, like... Really is, a, it's almost like in even family relationships, sometimes parents can't see outside of that lens. You yeah. know, yes, you're my daughter, but it's like, this is wrong almost. Yeah. And it's like a spiritual conviction. Like
1: oh no 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 oh yeah no it is a spiritual conviction in our household. In fact, my dad was totally thrown off. Like Matt was just like, I think that we're gonna have the most amount of people in our art church for Easter, so I think you should take Easter and I'll take Good Friday. Well, my dad was just like, wait a minute, you're teaching Easter? Like till this day, Cameron. Like our church is almost a year old. We have we have five hundred people coming to our church, and my dad is still is not like. It's no bueno, brother. <laughs> like, it's not good. So I just got to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do this. And I was predominantly teaching like women, and then you know, youth like ish sometimes. And it was it was after I got married with Matt, and um, at Mariners they invited me to be part of their teaching team. And I think my parents were still kind of a little bit suspect at that, but like the real thrust I think was working for Christine Kane. So I worked with Chris for almost seven years, A21, uh, as chief storyteller for A21. And then when she launched Propel, uh, I was creative director for Propel. So everything from the ground up. And being around someone who was just so uh, authoritative of her knowledge of the word of God. Um, She is, yes, she's a preacher, but like that woman is an evangelist through Mm -hmm. and through. And I got to sit under her and look at God's hand of favor, God's hand of anointing, God's hand of blessing upon her life. And I had to come to the point, like literally, and I hope this doesn't get bleeped out because you bleeped out a word that I said. I said, the opposite of heaven, so you don't bleep me out on the relevant podcast and we, you
0: bleeped me No 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 first of all I didn't we but if we bleep anything it's we bleep for humor because it's funnier to wonder what you said than well, what you actually listen, said
1: my con- to everything I post, and I shared that episode. My mother was like, baby, what did you say? I said, I said, hell, mother. I said hell. That's not a bad word. It's in the Bible. Thanks a lot for getting me in trouble, Unnecessary Cameron.
0: Censorship is the funniest it thing. It is so
1: funny, but not to my parents. <laughs> okay, okay, I got it. Okay, so I forgot about that. I no, okay. but okay, so this was this was like the big, the great, the great conversation I had with God. I was like, one day I'm gonna ha- come face to face with you, and you're gonna ask me what you did, what I did with your son. And I'm left with two options. It's either I share what you have done in my life and I unabashedly preach the gospel to people who need to know you, or I say nothing because I have a vagina. Mm. That's really what it whittled down to. Mm. And so if I err, I'm gonna err on the side of telling people about Jesus. And if I get, if I get a spanking in heaven, I get a spanking in heaven, my bad. But look at all these people that are in eternity because I got to share with my Uber driver like I did on the way here about Jesus, you know?
0: Did in your family's not okay with the how is they're
1: not. I mean, here's the thing. Like clearly they still come. Yeah. Like they'll come like on That's a side. Uh no, they'll still support. I I I, I think they're like, well, how I don't know.
0: like are they coming around? Like I'm yeah, just really curious about yeah, this. Yeah, they've
1: actually come to church. And like we I think I think by and large, so that that one conversation that they had about like, but you're not a pastor and like yeah. take that down. Um I, ha- I walked through an exercise that Matt did with me. He's like, okay, Bianca, what does a pastor do? Because I told Matt, I was like, because he said, well, you're a pastor. I said, I'm not a pastor. Paul's very clear about this. I'm not a pastor. Like, I'm not. And he's like, okay, well, what do a pastor, What does a pastor do? So I listed eight, 10, 12 things that a pastor did. And he said, like, which one of those do you not do? Right. And that kind of like arrested me. So then- So know. how
0: do you rectify that? If Paul said you're and not- And Paul is
1: my Bible boyfriend. Like, okay. I love me so Paul. So how do you- So I started, I, I, so I, started, I picked up- um, a book, uh, a book on hermeneutics, specifically dressing uh, women in leadership, women in ministry, and then I read Chris Vellatin's Fashion Terrain. Then I read Brady Boyd's Let Her Lead, and then I read, um, oh gosh, the name is escaping me, but it's a it's a very academic book. Um, Christine actually, Christine Kane was the one that gave it to me, where I land on having a theological understanding and I would say a God-given permission. I wish the reform camp would see that. I feel like we are bleeding out a generation of women who are bosses, literal bosses, not just like, ooh, boss babe, but like literal bosses in environments. And then coming into the church and feeling like, I can't lead. I don't have a place. My voice isn't heard. And that is what scares me about the next generation.
0: Today's episode of Unedited is also brought to you by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of amazing classes covering dozens of creative and entrepreneurial skills. You can take classes in everything from photography and creative writing to design, productivity and more. So whether you're returning to a longtime passion project, challenging yourself to get outside your comfort zone, or simply exploring something new, Skillshare has classes for you. For entrepreneurs just starting out, they have a ton of classes on everything you're going to need to know. But even for those of us who've been working in this space every day, it's important to keep expanding and trying new things. So the fact that Skillshare has classes in stuff like film and fine arts, even animation is a lot of fun to keep growing and stretching yourself. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for unedited listeners you can get two free months. That's right. Skillshare is offering unedited listeners two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. To sign up, go to skillshare.com slash unedited. Again, go to skillshare.com slash unedited to start your two free months now. That's skillshare.com slash unedited. And even your experience when you were 12, going to a church where you weren't like everybody else, it's like you almost like you don't belong here. Yeah. Or if you're a woman who is leading in all these professional areas, and then you come to a church where you don't belong here, you can't, God can't use you in that way here. Mm -hmm. I I, I, Like, I can't believe that you as a 12-year-old, 13-year-old going to that church didn't get cynical or say, well, like reject the church because... That church was rejecting you almost. Mm-hmm. You know how did you stay not cynical like through all of this? I don't because you have a joy about you, and you are so pro Jesus and so pro church. And a lot of people who have been treated the way you've been treated by the church wouldn't share that. So how did you make it? Like, what's the secret here?
1: Honestly, I think it's just how could you look at the gospel? How could you look at Jesus and not be so in love with Him?
0: Mm-hmm
1: and know that there's going to be fissures and fractures within the body of Christ. There just are. And like, I come from a big family. So to me, maybe I think that like, I don't always like my brother. I don't always like my sister, but we love each other always. And so I feel like that's kind of the case for church. Like if, 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 if God is our father in, we have this amazing gift of Jesus. Like how could we not love his body and love the church and like give an
0: so how do you deal with the people that hurt you, like like you internally? Not that you confronted them, but like how do you rectify that? That like, okay. Actually, so
1: I'm in a season now where I'm walking through a lot of hurt, where people have like have said things, like people like literally, we're 11 months old, and people have come up against the church, and I'm like,
0: because you teach,
1: because I teach, or because they don't like the structure, or whatever. I mean, honestly, Cameron, you could just like fill in the blank in this season. I think that's why I got so emotional with the whole failure thing because it's like instead of I. I grew up feeling like failure was the thing that's gonna disqualify you. And like, you have to hide your failures. And now I'm just like, yo, I'm the biggest failure. Look at how God is blessing this. Like clearly I'm a demonstration of God's grace because I fail quite often. Um, So uh, in this season, I am confronting people, but in the utmost of love and saying, honestly, this is like my line. Hey, for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the gospel, you don't have to like me, but will you still love the church? And you don't have to stay here. You don't have to be here. Get into a church. Hey, you don't like it here? I'll see you in heaven. But like, don't think that people are the church.
0: But you, you're creative. And so a lot of creatives are sensitive, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't imagine being a pastor and, you know, family leaves the church and not take it personally. Oh, that bro, like, it If kills. I was better, then they wouldn't have left. Oh, like, yeah. it's a rejection of me. Oh,
1: totally. How do you totally. deal with that? You have to—well, I can't—this is this is uh, descriptive, not prescriptive. I can't say this for everyone, but this is what has been, like, my saving grace. It's just like, I have seen what our church is going to be. I have seen, literally, people's lives being changed. And I'm not talking about, like, oh, Jesus, life changed. Like, literally, a guy from our church— had a brother that was in narco trafficking in Mexico with a cartel. This guy took a different route, highly academic, taught at a university. His brother got caught up in a bad drug deal and he was murdered. Well, this guy who lived in Orange County, educated, again, professor at a university, took a job at a university in Mexico, bought weaponry, was going, is planning on moving to Mexico City to avenge the death of his brother, gets a mailer from our church, That had a palm tree on it that said, You belong here. He shows up to church. I'm preaching that weekend. And he's just like, who and he's of Hispanic descent. And he's just like, Who's this Latina trying like like talking about Jesus? And said this is not for me, but he stayed, and Matt ended up coming up afterwards. and he 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 did something. we were in the new wine series, and Matt came up as the oh from the perspective of the psalm about what God's doing in pruning. and this is the pruning perspective. Well he was so shook. He was so moved. He rededicated his life that night. He rejected the job, the academic job. he sold off his guns. he got baptized and said, I am uh, my life has been changed by Jesus Christ. He now leads in our worship team. This guy's phenomenal. So how could you, how could you care if someone says, Oh, I don't like you, bump you. We not your people. Bye.
0: Yeah, but people say they don't like you on the comment on an Instagram video and it sticks with you.
1: Oh, it totally does. But for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of the kingdom, I got to keep on going. It's like, you remember that scene? This is what it feels like what it feels like. Russell Crowe, gladiator. Oh my gosh, this is gonna sound so dramatic, but whatever I'm dramatic. <laughs> and do you remember when Lucius? like goes in the cell and takes just a small sword and like shanks his side.
0: No. I mean, I saw a movie like 20 years ago. I don't remember any of it. Why are you breaking my heart?
1: Like, hold on. Do you hear
0: that? There was a a part with a sword. Sounds of shattered glass on the floor. Cameron. All I remember is basically the movie poster. So tell me about the scene. Okay. Shank him in the side.
1: He's about to go up against Caesar. Okay. He's curried all the favor of the people. He's the underdog. He's the outsider. He's the Spaniard. There's so much of that story that I feel like, oh my gosh, I'm the gladiator. And there's this one scene in that movie where the king, uh, Caesar, goes up to his daughter and says, if you were a man, what a Caesar you would have been. Mm. And someone came up to me at my dad's church when I was at my dad's church and said, if you were a man, mm. you have taken over this church. Come on. And so I think maybe that's why I'm like super close to that movie. But okay, so anyways, here is Maximus in the prison. What did
0: you do with that? What did you do with I that I said, statement? thank
1: you. I, what? what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to say, dude? What am I supposed to I say? I
0: punched him in the face.
1: Oh, uh, so that th- oh, that would have been a really good look. People <laughs> already thought I was like a fat, axe-wheeling feminazi. <laughs> like I'm in grad school. I'm traveling the world. I'm like a 28-year-old single female who's Hispanic, which people are like, you're one foot in the grave. You know, you should have like eight kids by now. So I was already the outlier. I did not want to give fodder for people hating me. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, whatever. Dude, there's so much more of that. You just got to keep on going.
0: You just gotta keep
1: on going.
0: How? I mean, like not how. Not the the way I deal with criticism is ignorance. Ignorance is bliss, right? So we put stuff out all day, every day, and 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 the first thing I tell somebody when we hire them is never read the comments. Just don't read the comments. Don't let people's troll opinion affect you or what you think you did. You know, do what you do with conviction. Do a great job. Do your best cover what you want to cover, say what you want to say, and don't listen to how people are responding to it. But
1: that's a monologue. I don't know, man. Like, you just have to keep going. You, you, here's the thing. Jesus said, they hated me. They're going to hate you. And I'm like, walk, I'm holding on to that. Like, people you're, are going to hate and me. And
0: you're okay with it. You, I mean, cause, I'm mean, i
1: not okay with it. Like, that, that comment stung. In fact, that whole guy, that, that guy that I was telling you about that said, um, this scathing remark about, like, this is why— Women should not teach. Like, he actually stripped the video and posted it on his page oh, with on. a whole diatribe linking my husband and shaming my husband for allowing me the authority. First of all, ain't nobody who allowed me, allow me, boy, am I your slave? I fought slavery at 821. Like, whatever. And I was going to be offended. I was going to leave a comment, but you want to know something? I said, brother, thank you. You just exposed me to all of your tribe. They could hate me, but now they know me. Ha! Guess who loses there, sucker. Bye. Wow. Whatever.
0: Like I, I, I just can't believe the audacity of people. Like I, my 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 friends who are in the public space and ministering, and and they're you know doing what they're doing out of spiritual conviction, and then seeing what idiots do, and like, it's painful, man. It's painful for me it's as painful. a friend. But you, your story is like you're you're not a middle class white guy. I mean, you have an even tougher story that throughout your life all these different aspects of your life, like you've been marginalized and, and rejected and like, and you kept going. And this is like, you are a walking miracle and a testimony of like mm-hmm. God's grace and the anointing on your life. The fact that you didn't crumble, the fact that you didn't like give in to the cynicism or the anger and the hurt that I'm sure you felt throughout that, I mean, it's just, you were like one of the eighth wonder of the world to me. Like, it's amazing to see where you're standing right now. And just hearing your story, you know?
1: You're so gracious, Cameron. You really are.
0: So how do we fix this? Let's, let's back it up. So Christine Kane, maybe Joyce Myers, you. I can't think of very many, Beth Moore. I can't think of very many women who...
1: And none of them are pastors. Right. Yeah.
0: But even just speaking, who, who are invited to speak to the main gathering. It's always mm-hmm. the women's gathering, mm-hmm. you know? I mm-hmm. mean, I'm thinking about... And God bless all the the amazing women's conferences. I met you. You don't remember this. I met you at IF gathering like three or four years ago. Wait, why do you think I don't remember? Well, it? because you said when you walked in, like I've only seen you on videos and photos. And I was like, no. I met you.
1: No, no, oh, no. I've only seen this office oh, space oh, of oh, videos and oh, photos. Because oh, okay. I totally remember that day. I was like, okay. oh my God, it's Cameron Strang. So, that's literally, like,
0: <laughs> okay, that's so, uh, literally what happened. Okay. So I, I was like, well, I guess you don't remember meeting me. Okay. So yeah, I met you at Wait, F-
1: do you also remember that we met at Exponential in Orlando? Yes, I do. Okay. Oh, okay. See, brother, I got you. I got your number. All
0: right. I'm just I mean, matchmaker. Come okay. on. Well, I you know a lot of people. Okay. So, <laughs> so but those like if and Women of Faith yeah. and so many of those, they're amazing conferences. And they the this and I go. I go to them. I mean, I go to them. And I'm sitting there going like, why is this a women's conference? Why? I mean, I get, yes, there should be a men's conference and women's conference. But no one was talking talk about, about menopause or kids. That's what I'm saying. Why is it a saying? women's conference? This was exactly. just a come encounter God conference. Exactly. Why can't I be here? Exactly. And I'm, I can only be here because I'm friends with Shauna Nequist or somebody and she invited me, you know what I mean? But like, I don't get the segregation, right? you know, racially in the church, but also in gender. I don't right. get it. Yeah. And how do we fix that? You have two minutes.
1: I think it's a big. I think it's a big topic to unpack. But the fact that we even get to have the conversation—remember the stages of revelation, the stages. This is the awakening, the awareness to it. We might not have any answers right now, but the fact that we could actually openly say this is huge. And hmm. the reason why it's huge is because you are a man, and you are also like a white man. So you are a I white am man the with white power with with power too. You know, so the, if I could say that, and it could be put to the side. But you say that and you open up the conversation and you should be the ones having the conversation. This is amazing. I think after that, it's um, asking other senior pastors if they're giving the platform to females on their team. They, they, they don't have, it doesn't have to go 50-50. They don't need their wife because not all wives feel called to co-lead in the way that Matt and I I've do. I've seen a
0: lot of you know, charismatic-ish non-denom church plants will do the Quote unquote co pastoring thing, Quote, but like, unquote. but like the wife kind of just gets the Mother's Day sermon, or you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like kind of token mm-hmm. and it's not her gifting a lot of times, right? You know what I mean? Right. And it's like, so we're doing this because it's pastor's wife and we're all mm-hmm. kind of rooting her on, but it's like, where's the women who are called to speak, preach, teach?
1: And they might not be the ones that the pastors are married That's to. Right. And are you okay with that, right? That already, if there is not a female like once a quarter on platform. Huh, maybe ask yourself why. And and that's like a great like vetting process. Now for a lot of churches that I'm speaking, of, because I'm so busy, like I get to uh, pick where I want to go. I want to make sure that I'm sowing into fields. Like I know what I bring. There's a stake in the ground every time I'm there. I pound the ground for God's presence to show up and that the residual... Like aftermath of what God does isn't something that goes away when I leave, but it sows seeds into the ground. I know that's what I bring to every house that I come in. So I want to sow into a house where women are esteemed and empowered and valued and loved. That doesn't mean they have to ordain women. That doesn't mean any of that stuff, but hey, can you see the value in the voice of women?
0: Would you speak at a church that, like a women's gathering at a church, but the church itself did not empower women, but you were invited to be the main speaker for the women's.
1: So I'm, so I will say that I love caveats on everything. So like you're asking the wrong girl, because I just spoke to 1000 Mormons last week in Salt Lake city, Utah. Like, I'm just like, Hey, wherever I can get the gospel, I'm gonna take the gospel. And I will be unashamedly, unabashedly me. Um, I would, if if there is an undercurrent and a swell. So there is this Baptist church in Texas, and that's as much information as I say. It's a Baptist church in Texas that invited me to come in because the women's ministry was slaying it. I mean, slaying it, the most vibrant, the most dynamic, the most growing, they had the most biggest vision, the, the most diverse, that who they were bringing into panel. I saw that, who they were bringing on platform and on panel. And I saw that, and I'm like, this is something that if we can just move the needle, if the church and the men of the church could see what women can do and how biblically orthodox we can be and how uh, biblically literate we can be and how like passionate about Jesus and His church and to vision and mission we could be, then they might move the needle at their church. And so I will say yes. But if it's just like, I'm the token brown girl or I'm the token girl, nah.
0: That's that's I asked Kristen Kane the same kind of question because I liken it in my mind to like, the racial inequality of the 60s and how the church like had institutionalized racism. I mean, and so like, let's say you were, you know, a a black preacher speaking at large black gatherings and you're invited to come to a white church that discriminated. Would you accept the, well, then likewise with gender, you know, it's almost like you're being co-opted or you're being like, A token or you're used, they can pat themselves on the back like, look at our diversity, but it's not, you know what I mean? And then it's like, now it's like that with women in leadership.
1: Have you read Letters to My Father by Barack Obama?
0: I've, I, okay. I own it. And and it's one of those books I read like three or four chapters, you know?
1: Okay. So this is kind of how I explain things and we can end the conversation after this if you want, but I could talk, I could talk all day with you. This is like so fun. you like mentally spar and okay. Okay. So how I kind of like, uh, Play this. The only reason I'm bringing this up is because you brought up racial reconciliation and segregation. And so, as, as a woman, you can have various entry points into mainstream Christian culture. And this is kind of how I allegorized it. So, like in letters to my father, President Barack Obama had stated, "In I'm totally, this is the BIV, the Bianca International version, I'm totally paraphrasing <laughs> it. But basically, it's just like smile, nod, Be kind, get along, and you get your way. Mm. And before you know it, and it's genuine, it's not fake, you don't put on. That's one way, that's one African-American, one black man that has made it, and that was the strategy. But then you have somebody like uh, Bill Cosby or Chris Rock, where like, I'm black, and I'm funny, and you're white, and you're going to laugh at me, and you're going to love me. And that's one way to get in. And then the other way- Or
0: Roofies. Or really? Well, big really? Bill can Cosby. we can we
1: focus on the Jello side okay. of Bill Cosby? Say, yeah, I didn't know we could
0: even reference <laughs> Bill Cosby yet. So,
1: so, so, so you could be um, political and intentional and strategic. You could be hilarious and funny, or you could um, be angry, and you could be like Black Panthers. Mm-hmm. And each of these three different African American black representations have infiltrated and and uh, not infiltrated have. Um, changed culture. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the same could be said for like the plight of women. You can come in with strategy and be kind and win and be smart, which was totally President Barack Obama. You know, I feel like Beth has really, Miss Beth has done that really well. Mm -hmm. She's wise and she's educated and she's kind and she's honoring and she's connected and she's served and she's loyal. And she's taken so many bullets. So I look at her and I'm like, who cares if you're mean to me on Instagram? Look at Beth Moore. She's Mm -hmm. the woman who's taking bullets. Or you could be—I mean, I think Annie is such a great representation of this. She is hilarious. Like, Annie can get along with anyone. Mm-hmm. And she is at a traditional, like, church where there really wasn't— And I mean, even Pastor Kevin Queen came from a denomination that really wasn't all that empowering of women, and yet he has opened— his arms and the church's arms to Annie. And then you have like the angry crew, the angry crew the is the, yeah. And, and that's the same thing within Christendom. There's still like that angry, bitter Betty crew that are like, mm-hmm. you know, trying to bust down doors. I would like to be like president Barack Obama. I will be the most educated. I will be the most kind. I'll be the most strategic. And whatever you're going to say about me behind my back, whatever you're going to say about me to my face, it's not going to stop me. I'm going to keep going.
0: Okay, in the few minutes we have left, tell me about your new book. And is your mom okay with its title?
1: <laughs> Actually, she's not. Yeah, she put a piece of tape on the title. Okay, she so. She did not. She, she, well, she was joking and she sent me a picture of it, but she doesn't like the word. She does not <laughs> like the word. So, the title of the book is How to Have Your Life Not Suck. Um, my mom doesn't like it. But that's okay. Um, did
0: you? But tell me this. Her voice is in your head. And when you wrote that, you knew she wouldn't like oh, it. Oh, I
1: totally did. And she also told me, BB, I don't want you to say Bo as your as anymore. And I'm like, sorry, mom. You're not my audience. No, that's your bit.
0: <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta shop that thing.
1: Um, I actually put it on a bag. I really did. I know, yeah. I saw your merch. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, the book is called How to Have Your Life Not Suck. And what people don't realize, and this I didn't really want to put this on the forefront of it, but it's rooted throughout the book of Ruth. And so Ruth is a small Old Testament four chapter book. And when I was having my quarter life crisis, I was 25. That's when my mom had cancer. That's when I was entering grad school. That's when that guy broke up with me. That's when grandma died. It was just like a poop storm. And um, I didn't have a mentor, I didn't have anyone to help. And the one thing that I wanted was the one thing that I was afraid of, and that was a sense of community. And that's a quintessential sign of millennials they want to be known, but they're afraid of being vulnerable. Mm. And you can't have both. And so, um, 10 years later, uh, learning these amazing principles out of the book of Ruth, actually, it was the very first. This year marks 13 years. I taught my very first Bible study to women, and it was the book of Ruth 13 years ago this month. And I feel like this is such a full circle moment. I think that's why I got so emotional because I don't know how these doors have opened. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know how I'm sitting across from you at Relevant. Like I, I don't. Like I have no answer except you just keep showing up. And there's this beautiful principle in the book of Ruth that if I get one reader to just read one chapter of the book. It's the last one on legacy because it holds the principle of providence that nothing just happens. God does everything for a reason. And I just preached that message at church. And like, it's literally the core of my life right now. And if you look at the, the life of Ruth, she lost home, she lost husband, she lost hope, she was penniless. The one person she knew in Bethlehem was suffering from PTSD and depression. Like this woman was living so many of our lives and yet she was faithful and what did she do? She showed up and she went to work. And I think that sometimes that's what we need to do. We need to go to work relationally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and see what God does. Cause you might just be one day away from entering into your field of abundant blessings. Before you know it, our great and glorious Boaz, who Charles H. Spurgeon said is Jesus, sees us and redeems us. That's what I'm living for because nothing just happens.
0: That was Bianca Oltoff. Make sure to check out her new book, How to Have Your Life Not Suck, becoming today who you want to be tomorrow. And if you need to put a sticker over that word to please your mom, you can. Follow Bianca on Instagram at Bianca Oltoff. That's O-L-T-H-O-F-F. And if you're in church leadership, make sure to check her out on the new podcast called premiering September 18th. Hey, if you like this episode of Unedited, I'd love your help spreading word about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts helps a ton, as well as sharing it on social media. Well, I'm Cameron Strang. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time here on Unedited.
1: Relevant Podcast Network.